0: Transcending a Religion of Fear, for a couple of weeks. Uh, We've been working through some relatively demanding material, and my hope is to give us a little time to consolidate, a little time to think about this stuff. But what we've said so far is that if we want our religion to be something more than a coping strategy for these deep, core, primal human fears that we all carry around, which is often what religion does become, If we want religion to be something more than just a coping strategy for fear, it can be that. But for it to be that, we must listen to the wisdom that is embedded in religion and we have to take up the demanding practices of religion. We've got to be willing, we saw in the first practical section, to go toward our fears. We looked at the Psalms of lament and how our tradition teaches us to go toward the things we're afraid of rather than doing what our brains are kind of wired to do, and that is be distracted from our fears. We looked at how the natural wiring in our heads works against the ancient wisdom and makes it so counterintuitive. We go toward our fear. The second section we looked at was that we go toward our neighbor. Love our neighbor as we love ourselves. That's the way Jesus told it to us. We have to do that despite the fact that the architecture of our brains is working double time to keep us from doing that. We saw how our most base instincts are constantly pushing toward ever diminished versions of we. And then the last part of the lesson how we handle our enemies, the people who have done us harm. The one who has hurt us the one who's hated us or injured us that person who's done real damage to us in some way that's the part that we're going to pick up in a couple of weeks this morning i want to preach someone else's sermon it's jesus's sermon (laughs) and you can find this sermon in matthew 10. now the chapter was too long so i'm not going to read it i'm just going to use my own words and of course the way that i would think about those words and i'm going to tell you what i think Matthew 10 says. And so here it goes. One day, Jesus gathered together some followers to give them a job. And he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to spend the next few weeks traveling around, but I want you to go without me. I want you to walk around and see your country people. I want you to see what it's like to live in these areas. I want you to see the way people are thinking and how that's affecting their lives. And because we've been together as long as we have, seeing this new way of being alive, touching the interior indwelling divine and recognizing that that's actually an option for us, I want you to carry that into your encounters with the people that you meet along the way. And I want you to take up the exercise of unraveling other people's thinking, the thinking that runs the life, runs the society of our country, our homeland. Wherever the spirit of evil exists and you encounter it, I want you to drive that evil out. Wherever there are wounds or diseases, I want you to step in and bring healing Wherever there is darkness in people's minds that blinds them to the truth and to the light, I want you to bring light to bear. Wherever there is death, give life. Wherever, wherever there is hell, drive it out. Wherever, is, wherever there is sickness, bring healing. I want you to disrupt the lives. I want you to disrupt the thinking that drives the lives of those who have become shrunken in our world. Show them what I've been teaching you. Show them what I've been showing you. Give them access to the bigger reality, the bigger truth that I have given you. So he did. He sent them out. He sent them out to go wandering, but wandering with a purpose. Find a need and then meet that need. Find brokenness and fix it. As you go, draw from the empowering spirit within that you carry as the divine center of who you are and bring that capacity to give a gift greater than the hurt that people carry, the pain that you're going to find out there. So that's the job that Jesus gave a bunch of people a long time ago. But you don't have to think very far to realize it's the same job that's given to any one of us who's taken up the life of following Jesus. As Jesus sent them on a job, it took two weeks, but the purpose really was of eternal consequence. It was a job to define the jobs of those who would come for generations thereafter. It was a job of serving the earth. It was a job of awakening to a truer version of ourselves so that we could be participants in changing the world around us. So if they were typical human beings, and there's no reason to imagine that they weren't, they probably heard this job and they thought, whoa. Because most human beings, and they probably did too, think of themselves as inconsequential when it comes to things like changing the earth, disrupting the national consciousness. We don't typically think that's the way that we would act in our lives because they thought of themselves as we would think of ourselves as inconsequential. Jesus, however, thought of them as indispensable for this changing of a mindset that was part of the job he was sending them out to do. I'm sure they thought of themselves as inadequate, but Jesus realized that they were made a little lower than the angels. You can find that in both the Psalms and the book of Hebrews. Jesus focused on the image of God in which they were made and the divine nature that was indwelling them. Sure, they were fractured, and that's probably all they saw. Sure, they were carriers of their own baggage and their own pain, but that's probably all that they saw. Sure, they were broken. We all are, but that's probably all they saw. But Jesus saw beyond that and said, after the facade, after the veneer of your brokenness, your woundedness, your sinfulness, there is within you a divine light and a divine life that's all you're going to need to do this job that I'm sending you to do. For Jesus, the Spirit of God within them, was more than enough to enable them for the task of being healers of the earth. So he tells them to go on this job. And he says to them along the way, if you do this thing, you're going to find something happening to you. Yes, I want you to go out and advance this movement that we have been part of. I want you to go out and share this way of being in touch with the divine life that brings healing and wholeness to the earth around us. I want you to do that. I want you to help me on this mission. But I also want you to discover a capacity within yourselves that you don't even know is there. I want you to discover that you have access to a divine light and a divine source that most often we live oblivious to. So he sent him out. But before he did, he gave him a couple of points of practical training. He said, now, there's a couple of things you're going to need to know how to do this job and to do it best. First, he said, when you go out there, I don't want you to be overly magnificent. (laughs) I thought that was comforting. (laughs) Don't be overly magnificent. Now, I have just said that you're carriers of the divine light. I've just said you're carriers of the divine spirit. You don't get much more magnificent than that. The magnificence of the divine spirit within you can hardly be overstated. But being magnificent, it's not a very effective strategy. Because this job that I'm sending you on, this job that everybody who follows you will also take up as their job, this job that will truly transform the world, it's not really going to work if you make it a top-down kind of affair. It's not going to work if you employ the instincts and the strategies of everybody else who's out there trying to change the world, who's trying to shape the world into their desires and into their image. They're using a set of strategies, and they're pretty magnificent strategies. Those strategies aren't going to work for us. Rome, magnificent, powerful, dynamic, earth-changing Rome. Not going to be our strategy. This direct top-down approach, this approach the Romans are doing, it's not going to be our way. We're going to be more covert. We're going to do this a little more grassroots. We're going to be more mustard seed, more yeast, less chariot, less conquest. We're going to be more guerrilla warfare, less Roman phalanx. We're going to be more sheep, we're going to be less wolf. We're going to subvert the world order, but we're going to do it quietly. We're going to do it so the world almost doesn't even notice it's happening to them. We'll be upending a way of being, but it's going to be difficult to do directly because that way of being is intent on preserving itself. So we're going to have to come at this quietly, not magnificently. Covert. That's going to be a better way for us. Now the message that you bring the life that you're going to be living, the resource that you're going to be touching, it will turn on end people's expectations of how change should happen. It's going to seem powerless, and it's not going to seem very powerful. And that's going to work in your favor, because if it seemed powerful, you were going to get a defense response that you won't get when you seem powerless. But make no mistake, this is not powerless. This is the disorienting, disruptive way of being approach to change dynamics. So every once in a while, people are going to see that this really is a powerful thing, and they're going to challenge you. And when they challenge you, they may even attack you because that's what people do. They tend to attack the messenger. Don't worry, the chapter says. God's good. You're safe. The Holy Spirit in you is a greater reality even than life and limb. We could call this job on which Jesus sent them and sends us the great upending. That could be a title for the job. We could call the job the great reversal. Because what Jesus is saying is you're going to be turning all the standard operating procedures upside down. Lastness is going to become firstness and vice versa. Weakness is going to become strength, and vice versa. Outcasts are going to become insiders. The in crowd is just going to, disco- is going to discover just how tenuous their hold on insiderness has always been. Rome is out. Dominance is out. Dominating is out. That power is transient at best, living where they lived at the epicenter of all the great empires that had been uh, running the world thus far. they couldn't help but notice where are the Huttites? Where are the Amalekites? Where are the Moabites? Where are they? They're gone. Because that kind of power that Rome is now exercising over us can't sustain itself. It can't last. And so might makes right must inevitably come to an end as an approach to change dynamics. Looking out for number one, same thing, it's gonna to have to go. Hate your enemies, exploit others for gain, gonna to have to go, all must come to an end because they don't reflect the realest real, they don't reflect the truest true, they're not sustainable over time. But again, we're gonna do it by subversion. It's gonna be grassroots, person to person, not too grand, not top down, You'll be overthrowing a dark kingdom, but that dark kingdom doesn't even know that it's lost in darkness. It surely doesn't want to be overthrown. In that world, this way of operating is just the way the world is. People do use people. People do just take care of themselves. People do lash out at the people who have hurt them. People only love the ones who will love them back. That's just the way it is. And so not everybody's going to get it, and not many are going to like it. Of course not, you're subverting the status quo. Once you start seeing this new way that I've shown you, once you start living this new way that I've been living with you, your people, the ones you've always loved and who have always loved you, they're going to get further and further and further from you because you won't be dancing the dance that they dance anymore. The society that nurtured you in which you found yourself, in which you identify yourself, you're going to get further and further and further from that society because you're not going to be dancing the dance that they dance anymore. At best, they're going to think you're foolish. But at worst, they're going to think you're a traitor. You're a traitor to the family. You're a traitor to the tribe. It won't go well for you once they realize that you're about subverting the status quo. But this way, this bigger than a religion of fear that helps us cope way, this born of the indwelling spirit that is within us way, this loyal to something greater than tribe way, it's going to change the world. But it's going to be difficult. So, not too magnificent, point number one. Not too grand, not too top down, go under the radar. Point number two to help you succeed. This is a demanding job, and so you're going to have to travel light. It's going to be hard. You're going to need to be unencumbered. You can't be encumbered with what people think of you because that's a burden to have to carry. Because if you're trying to conform to other people's expectations, it's not going to go well from you. You will be crushed underneath that burden. It's a heavy load. You can't be encumbered by the tried and true strategies that you see everyone else using in the world around you, because once you try and employ those dynamics, it's not going to go well for you. It will crush you. You've got to travel light. You've got to get rid of those expectations. You can't even be encumbered with that strong interior drive for self-protection, because if you do that, you're going to find that it will end up crushing you. Instead, traveling light, you're going to need to give up all the stuff that people think this is the good stuff, this makes for the good life. All that stuff you're going to need to just drop because it really isn't important and you're going to need to be traveling light. But as you give up all the stuff that people think is really their whole life, know this, it's going to be worth it. All those people who are fiercely protecting their so-called lives are in fact losing them. All the people who are willing, on the other hand, to let go of the trappings that they thought of as life, those are the people who are moving into a dimension where they are truly alive. So not too magnificent and travel light. That was a job given to them a long time ago, that's the job given to us today. Heal the earth. The families of the earth that are broken and breaking heal the families of the earth. The companies of the earth, the company that you work with, heal that company. The neighborhood that creates the social fabric that you live in, heal that neighborhood. The churches of the earth, the nations of the earth, go out subversively but compassionately confront the entrenched systems that are wounding people. There are family systems in place that are wounding people and those families don't even know how or why it's happening, they just know that they're carrying a great big limp. There are gender systems out there that are wounding people with false ideas about masculinity or false ideas about femininity and these things are wounding people and they don't even know why or how it's happening. There are work systems going on out there that are wounding people, co-workers who are creating in-groups and out-groups, select people and non-select people, managers who are creating the environment in which that can happen. There is racial inequity going on and systems to support it. There is sexual identity inequity going on and systems to support it. There are economic systems that allow some people in but keep other people out, heal the earth. Heal the families of the earth. Heal the companies of the earth. Heal the neighborhoods on the earth. Heal the nation. Overcome evil with good. Don't do what the world does. What the world does is simply despise those who have a weakness and dare to show that weakness. Change the equation. Quietly attack the assumptions of this world use counterintuitive strategies counterintuitive tools that you discern when you quietly go to the source that you carry within yourself tools like mercy and tools like forgiveness challenge injustice but do so wisely in such a way that you discern the indwelling spirit and you figure out the strategies that are actually going to bring about changes in the injustice heal the earth And in so doing, find the destiny that God has given you. Find your way. How is it that you are going to heal your part of the earth? How is it that you are going to work this life of subversive change into the days that you get on this planet? How are you going to bring about change in your home and in your work and at your church with the stranger that you encounter, with the outsider who has been outgrouped by your community? with the wounding and with the hurting that has gone on around you, how are you going to go up against those power structures that perpetuate that kind of wounding in your life? And how are you going to find access to those tools of this God way? How are you going to touch the indwelling spirit so that you can discern what you had not previously discerned, so that you can be part of this marshaled group Extending grace to those who are accustomed to harshness. Offering tenderness to those who are accustomed to rejection. Bringing healing to those whose wounds are just irritating. How are you going to tap into divine life? How are you going to awaken to the Holy Spirit and give attention to your spiritual life so that you can be equipped for this job? How are you going to pursue truth? Because truth will set you free. How are you going to faithfully meditate? Because that's how we awaken to the indwelling divine. How are you going to be part of a community where you are strengthening and being strengthened by others on the same journey? How are you going to be close to those who share this same job, the same assignment that you have? How are you going to hear from the Holy Spirit how they are being enabled and how you are being enabled and how are you going to stir them to heal their part of the earth as they are steering you? to? How are you going to do this? How are you going to keep in your mind that you are born of God? Because that is so easy to forget. How are you going to remember that you are born of Spirit and that the Holy Spirit indwells you and that you have all the resource that you need, it's in you. How are you going to remember to keep going back to that well until you not only seek but you find the source that is within you? Now that last part, remembering who we are, remember that we are carriers of the divine life, that's an important part of Jesus' message in Matthew 10. It's an important message to us. How we think of ourselves is powerful. Beautiful women who think of themselves as ugly act ugly. Smart men who think of themselves as stupid act stupid. Rich people who think of themselves as poor act poor. And Jesus had a lot to say about this. Think of yourselves as people who are born of God. Think of yourselves as people who are revealers of the spirit of the divine that you carry within yourselves. We don't tend to do that. We tend to think of ourselves as small. It's a big world out there with all kinds of big problems and we're small. We tend to think of ourselves as sinful. There's a whole lot of good that needs to be done in the earth and I'm bad. I've done this bad stuff. We think of ourselves as cogs in an enormous machine that's running this whole universe. We don't tend to think of ourselves as deterministic in the affairs of the world because we are carriers of the divine life. But the way Jesus designed this job, that's exactly what we are. We don't need to be titans to do this job. As a matter of fact, being a titan might actually work against doing this job effectively. Jesus told us to do this job the way that salt does the job of flavoring food. Not too much of it, not too big, not too grand, but it changes everything. Jesus told us to do this job the way that a candle does a job in a dark room. Not too much, not too big, but its very presence there changes everything. And that's the job that we are given. Ordinary people don't usually think of themselves or don't perceive of themselves as having a dramatic effect on world affairs. But this grassroots dynamic that Jesus is describing, that's how big substantive changes happen over time when lots and lots of people make these kinds of changes. It's the salt and light approach to the job. It's the small ordinary deeds and actions done daily again and again that defines the job. It's part of ordinary people being part of a movement that is being compelled by the indwelling spirit that guides us. It's that kind of a job. And it's doing that job informed by the connection to the divine spirit that we carry inside of ourselves. That's the recipe for a changed family and a changed company and a changed neighborhood and a changed city. In the first lesson, uh, somebody spoke up afterwards and said, whoa, 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 Doug, I grew up on these kinds of messages and I know what comes next. I'm going to go home and I'm going get my to-do list out. and I'm going to do all the things that I should be doing in order to serve God. And he said, I can't do that again. But he said, maybe what I can do, maybe what I can do is try and watch and listen And see if maybe there is something that is born of the indwelling spirit that might affect how I live tomorrow. Paul said it this way. Friends, remember who you are when you got called into this life. We weren't the brightest and the best. We weren't that influential. We weren't from high society. It looks like God deliberately chooses people the culture overlooks and exploits. It looks like God chooses nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of somebody's So don't take up this job by blowing your own horn. Everything we have that means anything comes from the Spirit of God within us. It turns out that it's ordinary kinds of people who end up changing the world over time. We don't think that because we live in a culture of celebrity. We think it's the big shakers and movers who actually change things. But deep and sustained change over time is often not flashy. It's often not noble-born. It's not always strong in the way that the Roman Empire was strong. Deep and sustained change happens among common people making many, many, many collective decisions together. Those are the tools that God uses for changing the world. That's why He uses the metaphor of the mustard seed and the yeast. Normal folk, you and me folk, Making changes, informed by the indwelling Spirit of God that's in me and also in you and also in a billion other people, seven billion other people. So here it is, normal folk. Tomorrow, you're going to go back to work or back to your family or back to school. And if you look, you're going to see some place that needs salt to prevent corruption or to bring out the God flavors of the earth. If you look, you're going to see some place that needs a candle to bring out the God colors of the earth. If you look, you're going to see a job that's needing to be done, some hurt that needs healing, some grief that needs comfort, some sin that needs absolution, some ignorance that needs patience and instruction, some rejection that needs acceptance. There's a world awaiting us tomorrow when we go back to our days Awaiting people who are alert to what the Divine Spirit would do in us and flow through us. You're not even going to have to go out of your way. All you have to do is show up wherever you were supposed to show up tomorrow. You don't have to even do anything extra. You just have to be present. But what you do need to do is listen. Listen carefully. Listen for the indwelling Spirit of God. And then when you hear the prompting, when you hear the nudge, obey the two-step dance of the spiritual discerning, desire and pay attention. Desire the speaking of the Spirit of God that is within you and then pay attention to what you hear. So you don't even have to go out of your way, you simply wander through your life being attentive, listening for the promptings of the interior spirit. However, it's going to be important that as you go into your place tomorrow, as you take up the job tomorrow, you not be thinking of yourself as only finishing the project that your boss assigned you or picking up the dry cleaning that you have to pick up, but in addition to finishing the project and in addition to picking up the dry cleaning, you're also a man or woman on a divine job, the job given us by Jesus, the job that betters and heals the earth, and the job that awakens us to our true destiny and purpose. And we can start tomorrow morning. And you don't have to have your act together before you start. Clearly they didn't. You can do it while you still have some ragged anger toward the kids. You can still be on the job. You can do it while you still have fear that strikes you in the night hours and you worry and you fret all night long. You can still be on the job. You can still do it when you're absorbed with me and my and mine. That's part of the process. You can still do the job. You can do it while you still have sins, while you've got the gossip sins and you've got the sex sins and you've got the word sins. You can still be on the job. Tomorrow, the invitation is to open your eyes to see the world in need that you will be walking through and to say a prayer at the beginning of the day for alertness. Help me see what I might have missed. Help me sense what I might not have perceived. And if we take up the job, the promise is that we will find our truest lives. Let me finish today by reviewing a prayer that you've probably heard before. It's a prayer that's attributed to Francis of Assisi. Odds are he didn't write it, but I like the idea that he did. And even though this prayer has been around a long time, it's still relevant to our world now. It's a prayer about your job that you're going to go to, your house. It's a prayer about how you will be when you gather with extended family this summer. It's a prayer about how you deal with the neighbor across the way that's getting a divorce. It's a prayer about the hiring policy at your company that excludes some people and overlooks others. It's a prayer about the letters that you will write to your elected officials. Here's what the prayer says, Lord, make me an instrument of peace, and where there is hatred let me sow love, and where there is injury, pardon, where there is doubt, faith, and where there is despair, hope, and where there is darkness, light, and where there is sadness, joy. Grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, not so much seek to be understood as to understand, and not so much seek to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. And so, Lord, may that be so among us as we show up wherever we show up tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen.